Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning, Movement Church. Let's try that again. Good morning. Man, I hope you came ready to get something good from God. I think he's up to some big stuff. I love it when you engage. I can hear you singing so, most of you actually sound so well, but I can hear you singing. It was amazing, and I just think God shows up. In fact, there's a scripture that says when we show up and we worship, that he inhabits the praises of his people, which means that there's something that triggers the heart of God like nothing else when, when, than when we sing songs of praise and adoration for who God is. That's why we start every service off with worship. So don't miss worship. It's my favorite part of any church service I ever attend because God does something unique in our lives. He leans in in the way that only he can and knows exactly what we're walking through, exactly what we're challenged and facing. And he's like, hey, man, I'm here. I got you. I got this. And so I just want to challenge you every time we're here on a Sunday, here for a service, bring your A game. Sing as loud as you can. That's why we have the music loud, because I mean, we get it. Nobody wants to hear themselves sing. We got the music loud, so you're good. Bring your A game. And you know what? Sometimes people lift their hands, and they're not asking questions. They're just giving their, putting their body in the posture or the position of worship. And it's okay if you do a little of this action, too. Some of you need to stay right here, and that's all right. You know, if you just start getting like this, then maybe be careful. Step outside the aisle for us. But just don't come in and be like, I don't care. I don't want anything from this. Come in with a posture and an attitude of God. I don't want to leave here the same. And every time we have that attitude and a posture in our heart, he does something miraculous. And I believe he wants to do something like that today. We're in the middle of a series, actually the tail end of a series called Gilded Cage. And this series is about uh, how easy it is to live life or live the life we were not created to live. But one of the things that we have created as a church, postured and positioned on purpose just to remind us of the goodness of God and the presence of God is once a month we do a service called Movement Nights. And tonight, right here on this campus, is our movement night. And this is our secret sauce. We exist to inspire the one who's far from God to find life in Christ and life in the church. And we want four things for you. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. But man, our secret sauce is movement nights. It's where we celebrate communion together as a family. We get into some worship, go a little bit longer in worship, and just see what God wants to do. Because how many of you know sometimes you need to shake it up a little bit? Expect the unexpected. And something happens when we grow our expectation and lean into the fullness of what God wants to do. Well, let me dive into this series because all of you will be here tonight at Movement Night. In fact, you can text Movement Nights if you want to. It's right here at 5 p.m. and it's going to be awesome. We have child care provided for that. But let me dive into this series about shifting our perspective and finding new purpose about uh, not getting caught up in living life for the wrong reasons. Now, I don't know if you know this. Maybe you're used to church. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't have a church background. Maybe you're brand new to church and you're not really sure what it is you believe. Well, let me just tell you permission to belong before you believe. But today is actually a significant holiday in the Christian faith. It's referred to as Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday that precedes Easter, and it's kind of a big deal because it's the day we celebrate Jesus' triumphal 
entry into Jerusalem. This is what happened. He, he showed up and goes back to the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that people came out from everywhere and they lined the streets by the thousands. And they saw Jesus coming in riding on a donkey. And they began to take off their outer garments and they would put the garments on the road before Jesus. And the Bible said they would bring out palm branches. If you've been in the church long enough, you went to a church service where people had palm branches. You're welcome. We don't do that here. <clears throat> Man, I got choked up over that. They would bring out palm branches and they would wave them before Jesus and then throw them on the ground. And it was this declaration of honor. In fact, they were, they were yelling and singing a declaration of who God was. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he, referring to Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord. And it was an epic moment. But I just feel like for Jesus... This had to have been challenging, both exhilarating and exhausting. Because the very people who were screaming Hosanna and worshiping Jesus and laying their garment down before him and waving palm branches, the very people who were saying Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord are the very people who in just a few days' time would be gathered outside the walls of a palace and screaming at the top of their lungs, crucify him, crucify him as they stood trial next to a murderer and the people yelled for his death. This had to have been challenging for Jesus. And I think one of the reasons why he was able to experience that moment while simultaneously knowing what would happen in just a few days is because Jesus knew why he was here. It was never confusing for him. He, he never forgot. He never lost sight of his why. In fact, over and over in scripture, he was reminding his followers, hey, let me tell you why I'm here. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm not here to help the people who are already healthy, who are already connected. He said, I'm here to seek and to save the lost. And there's something that happens to you and me. When we know our why, it makes the most challenging of what's that much more bearable. Today, over the next 30 minutes, I just have three questions I want to suggest to you. And I would call this a back pocket sermon. My hope is that this will help you discover the why, your why. And a back pocket sermon means, I don't think you'll discover this in the next 30 minutes, but this is one of those sermons you put in your back pocket. And later tonight or tomorrow morning on your commute or in a conversation with your spouse or a great friend, you pull this sermon back out and you have a conversation. And you weave the Holy Spirit into that and say, God, what are you trying to speak to me? Three questions that I hope will help you discover your why. But here's what I want to ask. It's something I ask every week, but I, I don't want that to become redundant. We, we did not start a church, and we do not have church just for the sake of having church. We do this so that people who are lost can be found. For those that are found can become more like Jesus. So look at me in the eyes for one moment. Before I dive into this sermon, can you, for 30 minutes, just say, God, I give you permission to do what you want to do in my life. I don't want to leave here the same. 
hey, I don't know about you, but I've had enough mundane to last me a lifetime. I've had enough mediocre. I'm exceptionally good at being mediocre. Anyone else? And I just want a little of the miraculous in my life. And sometimes the miraculous doesn't have to be the parting of seas. Sometimes the miraculous is just God showing up in your life in a profound way. So let's pray and raise the level of our faith and our expectation for God to do something big. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we just come before you humbly. None of us have this thing figured out. None of us have arrived. All of us are just here eagerly expectant for you to do the miraculous. So God, we open our minds and our ears and our hearts to hear and receive whatever it is that you want to do. We give you permission to rearrange the proverbial furniture of our lives because we want to leave here changed. We don't want to leave here the same. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen just means I agree. And Pastor Kerry, you look really good in that shirt. Thank you. I appreciate that. We're not sure if it's popcorn clouds or cherry blossoms. You take your pick. But we're actually psychoanalyzing you based on your answer. We'll talk later. I just want to pose three questions. So I want to challenge you today. In fact, everyone, I would encourage you to pull your cell phones out and text the word notes so you can follow along or pull up your notepad in your phone. Or if you're old school and want to write it, do that too. And I want to challenge you to write this down and allow God to do what he wants to do. Can we dive into question number one? Okay, are you ready? Question number one, who has God created you to become? Who has God created you? Not your neighbor, not your spouse, not your friend, not the person you drug here, not the person who drug here, but you. Who has God created you to become? I, I actually believe at the core of who I am that there is a specific uniqueness to the fullness of God's plan for your life. He crafted and created you. In fact, in Jeremiah, we hear that just the heart of God for each of us and, and, and our lives. We hear it in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Look at what he says. He says, I chose you. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. So I chose you, and then I uniquely crafted and created you. Look at this. He goes on, and he says, I set you apart before you were born. And if he chose you, not, not the person seated next to you. That, that, I'm talking to you. If he chose you and formed you and set you apart, doesn't it stand to reason that he has something for you, someone for you to become? That's specifically unique to just you. There is no one else like Steve Wagner on the planet. He is the cat's meow. And God chose him and formed him and set him apart. And ain't nobody on this planet can be who God's called him to become. Side note, scripture tells us that he is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, all-powerful, and he knows everything. Let me say it to you this way. God is never surprised by anything. Never. A good friend of mine who's not a good friend but kind of a friend in Dallas said, a thought never occurs to God. Let that sink in for a minute. He's never surprised by anything, which means he's never surprised by your weakness. He's not surprised by your past. He's not surprised by your present. 
He's not surprised by your outbursts. He's not surprised by your sin, which means that he chose you, he formed you, and he set you apart before you were even born, meaning he saw the fullness of the duration of the days of your life and still chooses you. And when God looks at you, he sees a masterpiece. You know, when I make carne asada nachos, (laughs) come on, somebody. It is a work of art. I think I've changed the game for carne asada nachos. I'm going to tell you right now. Now, you guys just put chips on something and throw some things and throw it in the oven, but that is not how we do carne asada nachos at my house. We take each chip intricately and pick it out of the bag of homemade chips from this uh, carne uh, carne down the street from my house. And we place them each individually on the pan. And then we take a dollop of refried black beans and place it specifically on each chip. You think I'm kidding, but this is how the anointing works. And then we take a medallion of pre-marinated carne asada and place it on each dollop of bean, which is on the individual chip. And we sprinkle some cilantro and some grated. They all hung yet in this house and we sprinkle some grated cheese on it and we slide it into the oven and we pull it out just as the cheese begins to bubble and get a little crusty anybody know what I'm talking about and then my wife who has the best guacamole you've ever had in your entire life we take that and some sour cream and some jalapenos because we need a little spice and then we top that with what I call Jesus special sauce which is sriracha do I have any sriracha fans in here if you're not a sriracha fan we're praying for your salvation And then we just sit back and we breathe and we eat. Anybody hungry now? It is a culinary masterpiece. Now, you may not think so because you can't see it. But to me, it's a masterpiece. Do you want to know why? Because I created it. And I know the plans that I have for these nachos. (laughs) Plans to devour and not waste. Plans to be full of carne asada. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Can I get an amen for some nachos? It's my masterpiece. And yet God calls you his masterpiece. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things which he planned for us long ago. So let me just ask you my, a question, my friend, the, the, the masterpiece creation of the one and only God the Father. What are the God dreams in your heart? Like not, not just the dreams, but what are the, the God dreams? Now, maybe you're here and you're, you're like 16 and you know exactly what those are. Maybe you're here and you're approaching 60 and you think those days are behind me. No, I'm sorry. If you're still breathing, God is the giver and the creator of dreams, so he's still got more for you to do. So what are the God dreams in your life? Who, who has God called you to become? What are the things that on the inside you're like, this is what I know I was created to do? It terrifies me to think that some people walk through this life and have no clue It can seem overwhelming, but who has God created you to become? And maybe you don't see it as a God dream, but but I want to encourage you that if there's something on the inside, chances are a portion of, a smidge of, a skosh of that dream is probably intricately woven into the fullness of why God created you, because he's the giver of dreams. Who has God created you to become? Maybe you don't know, and that's okay. There's no shame. But, but let us help you. 
It's one of the reasons we exist personally for me. My personal calling on life, look at me, is to awaken destiny and the lives of people I come in contact with. Let us help you. That's why we do next steps every Sunday. It's a starting point to go, oh, it may not be the fullness, but it'll pull back the curtains and open our eyes to begin to see or scratch the surface of what God is and wanting to do. Who has God called you to become? Question number two, are you ready? Who am I becoming? Write that down. Who am I becoming? Who I am called to become may not be who I am becoming. Let me say that again. Who I'm called and created to become may not be who I am becoming. Let me illustrate it. God gives us a picture of this, and he always uses marriage as an illustration. And in Genesis chapter 2, he said, the two shall come together and become one flesh. And whenever God is speaking, it's always multi-layered, multi-faceted. Now, obviously, God is talking about here the consummation of marriage, but you and I know it goes so much further than that because it takes so much more than the mere consummation of a marriage on a wedding night for two to become one. It takes a lifetime. It's a journey that starts in a moment but continues. It's a moment that is predicated by a lifetime of choices. And who I am becoming may not be who I was created to become. Becoming is defined as any process of change. Any process of change. Aristotle said it like this, any change involving realization of potential as a movement from the lower level of potential to the higher level of actuality. In other words, it is changing. Who you are becoming, my friends, is directly connected to how you behave. Who you are becoming is directly connected to how you behave, which begs the question, How are you behaving right now? Your life, your choices right now. Let's talk about a a few things that tend to shape our behavior. So what are the things in our life that shape our behavior? I think one important note is my thoughts shape my behavior. How I think, thank you, Megan, shapes my behavior. We, we see this illustrated in scripture, and I don't have time to go into the fullness of it, but there's a people group called the Hebrews who, as we find them in scripture, are living in the land of Egypt in peace amicably. In fact, God set it up. There was a Pharaoh, and his second in command was Joseph, and Joseph's people were the Hebrews, and Pharaoh said, hey, bring your people. They can have our land. Your people are my people. Let's do this. So the children of Israel are now living in Egypt, and time passes. As time passes, this nation begins to grow and is extremely large and populated. And the Bible says that the Pharaoh who brought them to the land passed away and a new king shows up. We read this in Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt, look at this, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, this is essential, read this with me. Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. So then Pharaoh concocts a plan. And he says, we're going to force them into slavery, into manual labor. We're going to oppress them, and they will become our property. 
But notice in the scripture, the Hebrews were greater and mightier than the Egyptians. But they became slaves. There were no fences around the nation, the land of Goshen. The Egyptians had no guns. So what is it that enslaved the Hebrews? It was their thoughts. They embraced the mindset of being a slave. We already know that the Egyptians were afraid of them. At any point in time, they would not be the only people group who had been oppressed by tyranny who rose up and fought against it. But somewhere along the lines, they adopted the mentality of slavery. And I just wonder how many of you in this room have allowed thoughts of insecurity, deficiency, inefficiency, or shame to enslave you and prevent you from living the life you were created to live. Our thoughts shape our behavior. And that shapes who we are becoming. That's why Paul reiterated what is so important for us to be thinking in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. He said, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Look at this. And then the God of peace will be with you. Your thoughts are shaping the way you behave and how you behave affects who you are becoming. You know what else shapes the way that you behave is words. Words shape my behavior. Proverbs 18 says this, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. Look at this, you choose. You choose the words that you speak out of your mouth. And listen, you choose how the words spoken from other people affect you. All of us in this room could point to a moment or a time when somebody said something to us that broke our heart or stabbed us in the back. We could probably point out where we were standing, what we were wearing, what date it was, why? Because it was so painful. But nobody has the power to allow those words to shape us except for ourselves. There's a story in the Bible of the same people group years later who are, are now trying to live peacefully, but they had an enemy who would come in and attack with irregularity. They would attack from the north and then the south and the east, and they would come in at different times of the day, and they would raid and pillage and take crops and cattle and kill. And, and the people of Israel were terrified. And the Bible talks about one man in particular, and his name was Gideon. You may know the story. And this guy was created by God. He, he was chosen and formed and set apart. And when his story emerges, the narrative begins to expand. We find Gideon hiding in his basement. He had succumbed to the thoughts and if I could probably insert some text, had probably spoken fear into his own life. But God had a different plan for him, just as he does for you and for me. So God sends an angel to talk to Gideon. And this is the only verse we're going to read of this story today. It's found in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. The angel shows up, and when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, look at this, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a mighty warrior. Turn to your second choice, say, you too. He said, you're a mighty warrior. Then he begins to unpack God's plan of salvation and how God was going to use Gideon to help deliver the people of Israel. And he did it. 
But isn't it interesting that before he could give him the plan, before he even told him, you've got the victory, what did the angel need to do? Remind Gideon, yo, you're a warrior. I don't know why my voice cracked. (laughs) You're a warrior. You've got this thing. Is it possible that Gideon had been living his life telling himself, I'm not strong enough, I'm not good enough, I can't do this? And the angel shows up and said, whoa, I created you to become something great. And you need to be reminded that you're a warrior. In our home, we all have mantras for our life. I make our kids, they have their own mantra, and they read them every day, and they've got to memorize. A lot of our pastor's kids have those too, and they memorize it. I've got one. It's on my mirror. And sometimes I make my 15-year-old daughter, who if she was in this room would be so embarrassed, stand up before me and put her hands on her hips like this in a superwoman pose and read the mantra to remind herself of how awesome she is. Would you all like to see it? Awesome. Do me a favor. Everyone stand to your feet. You're going to help me. Yeah, everyone stand to your feet. They've put the mantra on the screen and we're going to read it together. Listen to me. Don't get weird and cynical. You're going to read it with courage. You're going to read it with faith. Go ahead and put that on the screen for me. Are you all ready? Read it out loud with me. Here we go. I'm more than a conqueror, chosen by God. I'm good enough because he is good. Come on. I'm more in love with Jesus today than ever before. I love my family because family comes first. I will honor all, realizing that honor is a choice. I'll stand for what is right. I'll stand for what is true, and I choose to all always encourage others. I refuse to think small. I will dream big because I serve a big God who has big plans for me. I will live my life to build his church and point the one to Jesus. Now, we're not done yet. Hold on. This time, put your hands on your hips. Come on. If you feel it, you can throw that rock fist up in the air. Read this loud and proud. Are you ready? I will not quit. I will not retire. I will dig deeper, run faster, be stronger than my excuses. I did not wake up to be mediocre. Let's do this. Come on, give somebody a high five. Give like three people a high five and you may be. Y'all feel better already, don't you? It's like, man, I'm excited. Let's go fight Apollo Creed right now. Let's get this on. Are you tracking me? Hey, sometimes some of you need a mantra. And if you want this, I'll send it to you. You just need to remind yourself, listen, not just with thoughts, but with your words. Wait a minute. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm chosen by God. I'm good enough because he is good. Are you tracking with me? If your marriage is suffering, say, you know what? It might not be great. It's going to get better. Can I get an amen? Sometimes we got to remind ourselves that God's still in this thing. Why? Because our words shape our behavior and they impact who we are becoming. Can I get an amen from a Rowdy church for a moment. Let me tell you, our thoughts, our words, and our actions shape our behavior. Yeah, hey, by the way, it matters the choices and the actions that you're taking. Your actions paint a vivid picture of who you are becoming. Jesus said this when he was talking about his disciples. He said, you want to know who loves me? You want to know who's following me? In Matthew 7, 16, he said, you can spot them by their actions. For their fruits of their character will be what? Obvious. Which means that people don't know you're a follower of Christ. (laughs) May have some work to do. I'm not saying wear a Jesus t-shirt and jump up on your cubicle and yell, turn or burn. If you do that, invite them to a different church. 
I'm just saying, Jesus said the fruit of their life will be obvious. You won't find sweet grapes hanging on a thorn bush, and you'll never pick good fruit from a tumbleweed. So, weed, are you living right? Not perfect. But the Bible says this is the truth. We, we read the word that says God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, which means there is a right way for me to live. You don't get to decide what truth is, my friends. You don't get to, or you're writing the scripture. Got really quiet in here. How you live actually matters. Am I, ask yourself this question. Am I pursuing the things that God has for me? Not just the things that I want. Thoughts lead to actions. Actions fuel habits, and habits perpetuate who you become. It's shaping who you are becoming. Our actions are shaping our behavior and impacting who we are becoming. Another thing that shapes our behavior is environments. Environments. If your thoughts, words, and actions create behavior, then the environment is the soil. So what kind of environment are you in? The people that you're with. If it's a negative environment, it's going to produce negative thoughts, words, and actions. If it's a cynical environment, it's going to produce cynical thoughts, words, and actions. If it's a faithless environment, it's going to produce faithless thoughts, words, and actions. Are you tracking with me today, people? Some of you just need to get around some folk who know how to have faith for you. If all you are is negative, you need to be around my wife. She's always positive. Obviously, God knew I needed her. When you're facing some challenges, you don't need to remind yourself that life sucks sometimes. We get it. You need some people around you say, hey, it might be this way today, but God's still in it. Are you tracking with me today? You got good friends who go to this church and their son and grandson is facing some very critical health challenges. It's the kind where the doctors don't have answers. My friends, that's a scary place to be. You ever been there? It's a scary place to be. And well, what decisions do you make? How do you handle this? Well, let's just be real about it. Okay, great. Here's what the doctor said. Where, where do we go from here? And the grandfather's a good friend of mine, and he was talking about the story, and he said, you know what? I just got this random call from Michael and Judy Calderon, and we're elders in our church. And they're on the phone, both of them speaker, just like, rah. said, I know what the doctor said, but let me tell you who the good physician is. And they begin to pray a prayer of faith, saying we don't have to listen to the lies of the enemy. We're going to act with wisdom, but we're going to believe with faith. And he said, I had to pull the car over, and I'm weeping, and I just need to be reminded that God is still in this. Thank God for some faith-filled people. What environments are you in? Jesus went to the temple one point, and he became so heartbroken, it, it, it spurred him to anger. The Bible says he forged and fashioned a whip and turned the tables upside down. Why? Because they were buying and selling and trading and consuming goods and all in the name of God with the appearance of godliness, but it was void of the purpose and the heart of God. And Jesus went in and disrupted everything. And then he spoke to him, you've changed the environment of the church. In Matthew 21, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So the temple will be a house of prayer, an environment where God is welcome. Could it possibly be foreshadowing 
The scripture in the New Testament says that you and I, we are the church. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Could Jesus have realized what you and I would struggle with, that we would have the appearance of godliness, but be void of the purpose of what God wants to do in our life, sliding into the consumer mentality, just doing what we want to do. And God was reminding us the environment of our heart matters. It's shaping who we're becoming. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. So get in an environment that propels you into God-given destiny and not the opposite. That's why we do connect groups. We need each other. And we got that relationship taking place, an environment where faith and hope are the central theme. Are you tracking with me this morning? You ready for question number three? It's our last question today. I'm hopefully I'm okay on time. Question number three, write this down. Who will I be today? Question one, who am I called or created to become? Question number two, who am I becoming? Question three, who will I be today? The word be is a verb, an action, something that is happening. A definition is to exist or live. Shakespeare's famous quote, to be or not to be, that is the ultimate question. To exist or to live, be is not just happening, it's happening right now. In this moment, right now. That's why Paul said, hey, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul is not saying, hey, when you grow up, don't be conformed. In a couple of weeks, don't be conformed. When you get older, don't be conformed. When you get everything figured out, don't be conformed. No, he's saying right here, right now, today, in this moment, don't be conformed. There's a world trying to shape you and mold you into its image. So don't be conformed by it, but be transformed right now let God do it right here in this moment another definition of the word be is to continue or remain as before to continue or remain as before the word be is a verb which connects a noun to the subject so it's an action that's connecting the noun to the subject. So when God said, be still and know that I am God, the noun is God, and the action that is connecting me to is to be still. And when you look at the word still in the original Hebrew, it translates like this a state of lacking power or force with a focus that the muscles have actually lost their muscle tone to flex and respond to a situation. So in other words, I've lost all strength and power and my muscle memory is no longer functioning. And isn't that what you and I do? Our muscle memory kicks in. When we face pain or challenge or crisis or just day to day, we do what we know to do, what we've always done, how we know to do it, and when we know to do it. Our muscles are flexing. This is just how we live. And then at some point when it's convenient, we weave God into the fabric of our life. 
we've just figured out how to live this way. But in the scripture, Jesus is calling me just to be still with him. Right now, be still. To be weak, no answers, no plan, no strength, no ideas, just to be and know. Not hear, not think, not concoct a plan, but to know him. And to know God is to have an understanding that God has got this thing. Just to be still. You know, we just recently went to Africa and got a great thing happening there, the Movement Church campus. And anytime we're in Africa, you got to go on a safari. And so we did. I've been on quite a few. And it's always great to hear the stories from the safari guides and and this year I learned a story and he told us about the zebras, which they referred to weirdly as zebras. I said, stop saying that, zebra. <laughs> he told us a story about the zebras. He said, when a zebra gives birth to its foal or colt or whatever it's called, they learn to walk within the first couple of hours of their life. And so the mother zebra will take the foal or the colt away from the herd. They stay in herds for safety. But she'll take the, the, the foal away from the herd completely out of sight. And she'll stay away for up to a month, sometimes two. And I said, why does she do that? He said, because the baby is learning the stripes of the mother. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. Have you ever seen zebras? Imagine trying to find your mom by her stripes and you don't know her stripes. <laughs> So in that month, the baby and the mother stay so close that the baby memorizes and knows exactly what she looks like from every angle. And then after a month or two away from the herd, they'll merge back in and the baby can instantly identify and connect to its mother. And I just wonder if when God said, be still and know, what he wanted to establish in our lives is the muscle memory of not having to have everything figured out. The muscle memory of not having to be strong on our own. But the muscle memory of just knowing that come thick and thin through heaven or hell, in the good times and in the bad times, when I'm scared out of my mind and when I'm on the mountaintop, that in the midst of everything, I know that God is in this. He's with me. He's for me. That I'm more than a conqueror. That I'm good enough because He is good. And I wonder if He established it that way, that He created me to become someone. And if I'm going to become someone, then who I'm becoming actually matters. But it all starts with me just simply being willing to be in his presence to know who he is to recognize his voice so that no matter what I'm facing I'm living the life I was created to live I would just imagine that 2,000 years ago when Jesus was riding on the donkey in the triumphal entry he was probably overwhelmed more with compassion than exhilaration because he knew why he was here. And it wasn't a deterrent for him. It didn't shift anything for him. He didn't say, you know what, this is good. I've got the army. Let's establish my kingdom. He stayed faithful to the mission at hand because he knew his why. 
Who has God created you to become? Who are you becoming? And who will you be today? Who will you be today? You know, I just, I know that in a room like this, in a church like this, there are people here who go, you know what, I've got some work to do and some things to change and rearrange. But there's also some people here who actually need to begin the journey with Jesus. You want to talk about who God's created you to become, you got to start by knowing God. And look at me, there's a starting point. And it is not church membership. And if you're like me, this should be good news. It has nothing to do with eradicating your past. It's just simply starting with Jesus. And in a moment, I want to give you a chance to do that. Right where you're seated, no embarrassment. It can be a holy moment between you and God. But I believe God's called you to become someone great, and it starts by knowing him. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I just want to ask you to join me in the prayer. Some of you in this room need to begin the journey for the first time. And look at me. Some of you have been running from God. And today's your day to come running back and say, I'm starting over with you. Would you do me a favor? Nobody moving. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody looking around. I want this to be a moment between you and God, but I just want to give you some words to speak. If you're here and you need to begin this journey with Jesus, let me just give you some words and you make them your own. Just say something like this. Say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose, and it's unique to me, but I'm not perfect. Would you forgive me? And now just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. God, we just thank you that you're in this place. We thank you that you've created us to become someone great. And God, we're working now on who we're becoming so that right now in this moment we can be who you called us to be. We look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.